0: My name is um, Courtney and I've been on team here at church for like eight or nine years. And, um, and time really does fly when you have no idea what you're doing. Like I can remember eight years ago as if it was yesterday. And that's the story of our church, to be honest. If you're checking us out for the first time, like we've got no idea what's going on. So who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Hey, we're, uh, we're in a series right now called Things That Jesus didn't say. In fact, that this is the last in that series, the very last one ever, unfortunately. And this has been a great series, but I just want to fill you in on a conversation that I had in the foyer after the 11am service this morning. Somebody came to me and they said, um, are you wearing that t-shirt because you're preaching tonight? I said, it says peace, not, not preach. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm going to just start a new series, things that my t-shirt doesn't say, but it does say peace. I'm not just wearing a t-shirt that says preach, just so you know. But um, it's been a good series, hasn't it? It's been, a, it's been a good series. I've really loved this series. I've gotten a lot out of this series. But to be honest, if you're anything like me, you've probably found this series a little bit challenging, right? Like, Because there's some things that you and I probably wish that, that Jesus did, did say and we kind of wish that he didn't say it. Like, There's some things that he didn't say that we wish that he did say, like in week one when Dave said that Jesus said, hey, if somebody slaps you, um, not only can you not slap them back, which seems unfair, but you have to offer them the other cheek, and I was confused because I was unsure as to which cheek that that was, and, and so I was trying to figure that out all week, but it's been a real good series. It's been a challenging series, but it has been a good series for sure. Um, not a lot of people know this about me because I hide it really well, but I am a super competitive person, believe it or not, and the, the reason why I hide it is, is because... I, I don't deal well when I lose, like, I really want to win all of the time, and so I hide it really well, and the way that I hide my competitive nature is simply by not doing things that I'm not good at. Like, I just, I like to do stuff that I'm good at, and a lot of people say to me, well, well Courtney, you should, um, you should try some new stuff, you should challenge yourself, and I'm always like, no Thanks. Like if I wanted a challenge, I'd play Sudoku. I'm not interested. I'm coming. If I'm coming, I'm coming to win, and that is it. I don't like to do things that I am not good at because I hate that feeling, you know, that feeling of just not being good enough. Like that feeling, like when you lose at something, it's just, it's just the absolute worst. One time, um, my wife Beth, she said to me, "Hey, we should, um, we should go for a game of tennis." And, um, and I was just kind of like, mm. we'd only just got married at the time, so it was still butterflies and rainbows. And I was like, <laughs> no, babe, no, it's cool. And she said, oh, come on, we'll be good. We, we should go for a game of tennis. Why? Why? And I said, <laughs> it was all love. It was all, it was all those love heart sweets, handing them to each other. It was beautiful. So it was very much lighthearted. It was like, <laughs> no, 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 you're all right. And she pressed on, and she's very persistent. And so she said to me, come on, why wouldn't you play tennis with me? And I said, ha ha ha. Because I'd crush you. <laughs> I'm just a super competitive person, and the truth is, I've never even played tennis. I'd still beat you, though. I've never even played tennis, but I just come when I can I want to win. I hate the feeling of not being good enough. When we first got married, one of our um, one of our married couple friends, because I don't know whether you know this, when you get married, you can only knock around with other married people. Like you haven't got time for singles anymore. You get together with your married couples friends and you judge all your single friends. And um, <laughs> you're laughing, but it is definitely true. You just sit there and judge them. And, and uh, this morning we discovered that actually, when you get married for the first time, you actually every time you go to a wedding, you just go to a wedding to judge whether it was better or worse than your wedding. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're laughing, it's because it's true, isn't it? It is true. If we come to your wedding, if you invite me and my wife to your wedding, you just need to know that we're judging whether it's better than ours or not. Saying it's just what married people do, guys. So, uh, so she she found out that one of our married couple friends that um, that they go to the gym together, and um and these couples they scare the freckles straight off my face. Um, these couples are not to be trusted. And now because we just got married and they were married, she thought that it was something that we should definitely pursue. Like we should go to the gym together. And my instant reaction was like. <laughs> No. I would physically and emotionally hate that with all of my being. Every single ounce of me would hate that. And, uh, and she persisted because she's a persistent lady. She says, come on, it'll be great. Let's go to gym. I said, no. And eventually we compromised because marriage, as you know, if you're married, is, is compromised. And so we decided that we would go jogging together. And, um, and this did not go well. We went jogging one time. And um, we got out the house and Beth wanted to run alongside me and she wanted to talk about, you know, silly things like our future and kids and all this kind of stuff. And I don't want, want to do any of that. I just wanted to win. Now, I know it's not a race. Like, I know that jogging with your wife is not a race, but th- none of that matters to me at all. I came and I came to win. And so after a while, I just took off <laughs> and just left her. You just sort of see me. I was like, New Fairies, Forest Gump. Gone, and uh, it's been a rocky few years since then. And so, this is really like counselling for me. Like I'm not really talking to help you tonight. I'm just talking to help me. And uh, but I just hate that feeling. I hate to feel like I've lost. You know, I hate to feel like I'm just not good enough. I hate to feel like I've not measured up. Like I've missed the mark. And I think that this is something that we all go through, isn't it? This is something that we can all battle and challenge with in our in our everyday life. This feeling of just feeling like man. I'm, I'm, I'm not measuring up. I'm not as good as I could be. I'm not as far on as I want to be. I'm just feeling a little bit inadequate. If you ever had that feeling, I wonder if maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe I'm just that competitive that it's only me. But I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm certain that some of us have had this same feeling, had these same thought patterns, and um, you know, you know, the type of feeling when you think, right, I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna save this month. And then you get a new outfit off Assos and, and that didn't happen. So, so you, the saving went out the window and then you think, well, okay, so the saving didn't work out and so that's okay. I've not really maybe measured up there how I wanted to be. I'm feeling a little bit inadequate. And then you say to yourself, well, maybe I'm, gonna, I'm just going to sidebar the nightclubs for this month, but, but now you've got a new outfit off Assos to flex and so you find yourself in Concert Square and, and now you're sat in church, broke, hungover and just thinking like, man, just not measuring up. Just not feeling like I'm good enough. I'm feeling like I've missed the mark. I don't know about you, but I've thought more about running away as an adult than I ever did as a kid. Being, being an adult is an extreme sport, isn't it? It is an extreme sport. Like, you're up for the promotion and you don't get it. <laughs> Cheers, Luke. And um, that one stings. You, you know, like, that, that's how you really thought you were going to get it and you don't. And uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Like, you really thought that you were getting through to your kid, but then he has another strop on aisle five and you're running fast out of patience, you know, that type of feeling. And you're thinking, man, will I ever measure up? Will I ever be good at this? Will I ever be a good parent? Will I ever get better? You really thought that the business was maybe turning around for the better, and now you're kind of like one week away from bankruptcy and it leaves you feeling like, ah. Am I even a good person? Can I even ever learn to get this right? You really thought that maybe he or she was the one? And then it all kind of went Brad and Angelina, and now it's all just a bit messy. And, and if you're anything like me, you'll go through these situations in life, and you'll find yourself asking, you're qu- asking the question of, like, will I ever get this right? Will I ever measure up? Will I ever be good enough? This is something that I honestly believe that everybody battles with on on a weekly basis. This feeling of inadequacy is just the worst, isn't it? And what's even worse than that is that sometimes we um, we can distort the image of God. Our image of God can almost become out of focus because of our understanding or our lack of understanding of what Jesus did or didn't say. Or maybe we know what he said but we didn't really understand the context too well. And so we misunderstand and we can accidentally think that the only reason that Jesus came to earth was to stand next to us. To, to, to draw a contrast and a comparison to show the world how bad we all are to show the world how, how just not good enough we all are. And I think the churches have done a great job at making people who don't go to church feel this way. And so I just want to clear this up because Jesus didn't come to draw a contrast between you and him. He didn't come to show you how bad you are by showing everybody how good he is. He came to act as a bridge and a form of connection to bring you back into relationship with your maker and your creator. That was a lot of words in one section. Sorry about that. <laughs> But that's kind of almost the, the opposite to what we're taught, isn't it? Like we're conditioned to think a certain way when we, when we go through school and we go through uni. We're conditioned to think that, that good things in, then good things out. And so when we kind of come into a church like this, we can kind of ask ourselves a question like, well, how can a good God be in connection with bad people? How can a good God be in connection, in relationship with people like sometimes like me that just don't measure up, sometimes like me that just feel like maybe we're just not good enough and we're taught as we grow up through school, through college, through uni and into the workplace that that we should play the power of that, you ever done this with your life, I'll show you how it starts, it starts like this from a really young age, you say, if I'm good then Father Christmas will come, that's right, you you have to be good and he will come, (laughs) But that's when it starts as a child, and so we take on this form of thinking, which is right thinking in a lot of circumstances, and we apply it to everything else in our lives. And so we say things like, if I work really hard, then I'll make the grades. Like, if I turn up and stay late, then I'll get the promotion. And we apply this thinking to God, but sometimes it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't always make sense, like the way that we're taught. Like, and we say things like, if I pray really, really hard, Like if I pray really hard, then maybe God will bless me. It just makes so much sense. Good things in, good things out. It just makes so much sense. And we say things like, if I'm really good, if I'm a really, really good person, then maybe I'll get to heaven. Because good things in, good things out. But Jesus didn't say, that only good people go to heaven. Jesus said, saved people go to heaven, which is a real difficult truth to battle with sometimes, isn't it? When you're trying your best to be a good person, when you're trying to pay everything on time and treat people with respect and build relationships and work your hardest, the the harsh reality sometimes can be really difficult to grapple with. But unfortunately, Jesus didn't say that good people go to heaven. He said that saved people people go to heaven. Check this out in John 14, verse six. This is what it says. It says, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. So what is he saying? What's Jesus saying in this verse? What does he mean? What he's doing is he's equalising everybody in two lines. He's equalising everybody and he's saying, hey, look, guys, all of you, you're all the same, which is difficult to handle, I know, but all of the good, and all of the bad, all of you are the same. And every single person has access to heaven if you're willing to come through me. That's what Jesus is saying in this verse. Jesus is saying, hey, it doesn't matter if you feel like you're good enough. It doesn't matter if you're not good enough. It doesn't matter how you feel. The only road to heaven is through him. But, but lucky for us, there's no toll booth. And thank God, too, because we all have this feeling of not being good enough, don't we, from time to time. We all battle with these feelings of inadequacy, maybe now more than ever in the history of the world because of the way in which we live and the, and the technology that we're surrounded with. We can, we can all battle with just feeling like, man, I just don't measure up. I wish I could be better there. I wish I felt better. I wish I felt like I was good all of the time. If you've got a Bible, we're going to read a quick story tonight. And you can find it in, um, in Luke 19. And this story is a great example that shows you that you don't have to be good to get to heaven. Luke 19, we're going to read it in just a second. And this short passage of scripture talks about a guy called Zacchaeus. And one thing that you've got to understand about Zacchaeus is that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Like he was a bad dude. He was not a nice guy. In Jewish eyes, he was the worst of the worst, and sometimes we can read about tax collectors in the Bible, but we, we can almost miss the, the context in which made them so bad and which put them in such a bad light, because what actually happened was was when the Roman Empire took over a certain place, they would farm out these tax jobs to locals. And these locals would take these tax jobs. And so all of a sudden, your friend would be knocking on your door asking you for money with power to actually physically take it from you. And so you were seen as a traitor. Like, imagine that. The HMRC is not loved 2,000 years ago. (laughs) Can't imagine why. And, And so you would be taking money from your friends and from your family to support an empire that had stolen your lands and feed an army that, was, that had taken your property, that had taken your land. And so you were seen as a traitor. You were despised in the eyes of Jewish people. But something quite amazing happens with Zacchaeus in this story. A bad guy, when, when Zacchaeus has an encounter with Jesus, when a bad guy has an encounter with a good God, everything changes. And so I think it's really worth just looking at this story real quick. This is what it says in Luke 19, verse one. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector. Like he was the, Zacchaeus was the chief. Zacchaeus was the boss. He was the big boss that you play at the end of Super Mario when you've beaten all the other bosses. Zacchaeus had tax collectors of his own. He was in control. He was in charge. He was the worst of the worst. He was as bad as they came. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy, no surprise. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, get out that tree. No, he didn't really, but uh, we're in a series called Things That Jesus Didn't Say, so I'm just going to say whatever I want. <laughs> Zacchaeus, get out the tree. I'm going to come to your house. Something along those lines. And all the people saw him and they began to mutter and he said, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give away half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Now watch this, this is really interesting. Jesus said to him, today, salvation. Today, not when you're good, Not now that we've kind of met and I think that you're okay. Right now, today, in this place, in this spot, at this time, in your mess, in the middle of this circumstance, while you're still a tax collector, while you're still a bad guy, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And so if only good people get to heaven, then why did Jesus hang out with bad people, if there was one guy that was not good enough, if there was one guy that did not measure up, if there was one guy that was not cool to host Jesus, it was Zacchaeus. In the eyes of the Jewish people, in the eyes of all the people, he was hated. He was despised. He did not qualify. He did not fit in. He was not good enough. And yet, Jesus seeks him out. You see, when, G- when you look for Jesus, Jesus looks for you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what estate you grew up on. It doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're a king, if you're a peasant. It doesn't matter about any of that stuff. When you look for Jesus, regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstance, Jesus looks for you. He chooses to sit with the despised, He chooses to sit with the loved and the hated alike. He chooses to sit with the outcast and the included. The people that we would say deserved grace and mercy, he sits with them. The people that we would say don't deserve grace and mercy, he sits with those two. In the eyes of the crowd, Zacchaeus was lower than low. What's interesting is that Zacchaeus will have probably been out scheming and thieving and robbing and ripping people off the very hour before he comes into contact with Jesus. Think about the context of his life. He had staff that were doing this. He was was running the biggest, most lucrative pyramid scheme that you've ever seen. He was doing it right up to the moment that he has this run in with Jesus. And isn't it funny how the world still expects you to be perfect before you come to church? But that's not what Jesus does. That's not what Jesus said. So many times in my life when, I've invited people to church, friends, family, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. They, they all have the same response. They all say the same thing. Well, I could never come to church because I would just burst into flames as soon as I walk through the door. What? What? You're dousing yourself with gasoline? Do you have a naked flame by the door? Because if we do, we should get facilities to look into that. But everyone says the same, don't they? Because the world and churches are like we've taught people, hey, look, you, you can come to church, but as long as you're good. Like, you can come to church as long as you're perfect. You can come to church as long as you've got it all together. Your finances are complete, everything like that. Your family's 2.4 kids. You can come to church as long as you've got all of those things. But Jesus is saying, hey, look, there's no prerequisite for entering into relationship with him. None. None whatsoever. In today's society, I think we confuse progress with perfection. You don't have to be perfect. Like, just look at Zacchaeus. You don't even have to be good enough. I don't know who told you that, but the truth is, is that Jesus never said that. He never said that, he never did that, and he certainly never displayed it. I love it in Romans 5, one of my favourite verses. It says this in the Bible, it says, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were perfect, amen, Not when we had it all together. Not when our Instagram hits 10,000 followers. Not when we've overcome the addiction. But while we are still sinners, while we're right in the middle, smack bang in the middle of messing it up, of doing it wrong every single day while you are still that guy, before you become that guy, God died for us. He sent his son to die for us. The other month I, um, I received a letter in a post and uh, this is what it read, it said, dear Mrs. Courtney Hobbs, because I've never ever once received a letter that's been aimed at my, my right gender. Uh, dear Mrs. Courtney Hobbs, you've been pre-approved for this new bank account. I thought, cool, I've been living for your validation experience for like 29 years. <laughs> Not. Um, but here's what I want to say, hey, this is the same way that God views you. You are pre-approved. Doesn't matter about your history, doesn't matter about your credit rating, doesn't matter about where you live, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter who you are, you are always pre-approved in the eyes of God and this story is such a great example of that. The problem for us today though is this, is that it's just so much easier to pretend isn't it? It's so much easier for us to pretend that we're perfect like we've got it all together, because it just doesn't sting as much, doesn't it? The, the white lie of us pretending that it's perfect just doesn't sting as much as the honest truth of just saying, hey, I I'm, not just not, I'm just not good enough here. I'm just not good enough in that area. We play the part of the crowd in this story, but more often than not, we should be playing the part of Zacchaeus. Like we're all on Instagram pretending that our lives are so much more extravagantly perfect than they actually are. Look, I love Instagram, but the truth is, most nights out of the week, I'm sat on the sofa with a frozen pizza and most of it ends up down my chest. You can ask Beth after the service, but that will never ever make my Instagram because it's not perfect enough. And this is how we start to live out our lives. We start to apply this thinking to our everyday lives because it's just easier, right? It's just easier. It's easier to bounce around B&M in, in, in your leggings holding a water bottle than it is to haven't been in the gym. That's just guys. I've seen you. You know who you are. It's just easier. It's easier just to act like you're fine, isn't it? Like, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Really? Because I've just seen you in the car park listening to Taylor Swift on blast, crying your eyes out. <laughs> you're fine? No, no problem. You're fine. You're good. It's just easier to pretend, isn't it? It's just easier, especially... When we get to church, isn't it? It's so much easier to pretend, and I've done this, especially when we run into Karen, super Christian. Do you know the one? The one that's on your row that sings louder than you? So you know that she, so she knows that God's going to hear her first? By the way, if you're thinking there's no one, no one like that on our row, well, I'm afraid to tell you that it's you. <laughs> there's no one on this row like that. Well, that's because it's you. <laughs> you know the one? It like walks into the auditorium. You're like, oh, Karen must be taking a trip. She's got a wheelie suitcase with her. And she sits down and you realise it's not a suitcase. It's a Bible. And it's bigger than yours. It's always leather bound and filled with tabs. And she knows the Hebrew word for everything, including chicken nuggets, like knows it all. Rolls her, eye, rolls her eyes at your, 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 your Bible app. Which is not holy enough. You know the one I'm talking about. It's just so much easier to pretend in front of a super Christian Karen, isn't it? Hey, I'm sorry if your name's Karen, by the way. There's absolutely no... No reason why I chose that name. It just, just is what it is. But it's just so much easier to pretend. But when we pretend, we play the part of the crowd. But what I love about Zacchaeus is his boldness to admit his mistakes in front of the people who knew how bad he was. Who knew how how much they hated him? Who knew how much that they would probably take him out if they were given the opportunity? The crowd knew who he was. They knew how bad he was. They knew everything that he'd done. But how many of us have that type of grit? That's what I love about Zacchaeus. To stand there and say, yeah, I've made some mistakes. I've annoyed some people. I've done some things in the wrong way. We, We need that type of honesty in our churches. We need that type of honesty in our lives, don't we? We need to stop pretending and just start getting real and being honest. Don't miss your transformation moment because you're busy hiding your transgressions from a God that already knows everything about you anyway and still says, hey, you can just come. It's cool. While you were still a sinner, I died. It's no problem. We need to be more like Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus had figured out that it's okay to be a work in progress. It's contrary to what we're taught now. It's contrary to how we're told that we should live our lives. Everything must be perfect. Zacchaeus had figured out this way to understand that, hey, look, it's okay to be a work in progress. I'm not happy with who I've been or what I've done, but I'm understanding that If I move forward, it's okay to be a work in progress. So here's the question. How do we stop ourselves from feeling like we're not good enough? Or even better, the question is probably, how do we stop ourselves from feeling like we have to be good enough? The reason why I think that, we're, that we have these feelings and, and, and me specifically is we feel like we, we have to compare ourselves to everybody all the way through our lives and we fall into this thing that psychologists actually term, they give a name to it and they call it the comparison trap. And so the first thing that we have to do if we want to fight these feelings is we have to avoid comparison. Look, Jesus didn't say that you had to be better than your neighbour, even Karen He said you have to love your neighbor. And we know from the classic wedding verse, don't we? If you've ever been to a wedding and judged it because it wasn't better than yours, you'll hear this verse that says love doesn't compare and it doesn't boast and it isn't envy, it's not proud. Comparison is the thief of joy. We're talking about Zacchaeus and how he stole from other people and that made him a bad guy. But when we fall into the comparison trap, we can just as easily steal from ourselves. We can start to steal our own joy in the game of comparison. Did you know that research actually shows that when we regularly compare ourselves to others, we often experience way more negative feelings of deep dissatisfaction, guilt, and remorse, and get this, we even engage, are more likely to engage, in destructive behaviors like lying and eating disorders. Comparison will physically and emotionally mess you up because it is the thief of your joy. And so we've got to avoid comparison. Avoid comparison like you avoid Primark on a Saturday. And so how do we avoid comparison? Well, we avoid it by being content. The antidote to comparison is contentment, which always starts with a thankful heart. You see, comparison, it it forces us to turn inward and to focus on ourselves and what we lack, but thankfulness compels us to turn our attention onto others. When we're thankful, we stop seeing what we lack and we're able to see the generosity and the faithfulness of a good God that's brought us so far already. When we take our eyes off ourselves, when we stop comparing ourselves to everybody else, we're able to meet the needs of others. When Zacchaeus took his eyes off himself, He was able to meet the needs of others four times over. You have to stop comparing yourself to others. And remember this, that the goal is not to be perfect. The goal is not even to be good enough. The goal is just to be better than you were yesterday. Just a little bit at a time. Don't bite off more than you can chew. That's the goal, one step at a time. Don't do yourself a bad deal by thinking that you have to instantly change. The goal is not to be good enough. The goal is to be better than you were yesterday. And so if you're gonna compare yourself to anybody, compare yourself to your yesterday self. Compare yourself to your yesterday self and do whatever it takes to get in on the journey to just becoming better one day at a time. Whatever it takes, don't make excuses. If you're short, climb a tree. If people are holding you back, if your friends are holding you back, man, get new friends. Sometimes you outgrow people and that is okay. If, you, if you're unhappy with your job and it's making you feel like you don't measure up, then, then maybe think about retraining and, and going down a different route. It's okay to be a work in progress. It doesn't have to be instant. It doesn't have to be Instagram reality. This is real life, guys. Even if you feel like you're not good enough right now, you have to remember the faith isn't a feeling, it's an action. It's not a feeling, it's an action. And so we have to exercise the action of focusing on being better than we all were yesterday. And I promise you when you do this, and I've done this in my own life and I'm trying to continue to do this slowly, but surely grace will flood your life and you won't even recognize yourself. Someone asked me this question a while back. They said, when we were talking about a specific subject in my life, they said, hey, where would you be if you had started a year ago? And it really absolutely wrecked my mind. And I want to ask you the same question. Where would you be if you'd started a year ago, given up bad language like Em talked about last week? Where would you be if you had given up a year ago, aggression like what Dave talked about in week one? Where would you be if you'd started chasing down that dream and exploiting that talent for yourself? Where would you be now? Because I promise you this, even if you weren't where you wanted to be, you would definitely still be further on. Being around Jesus just makes you better. Look at the life of Zacchaeus. Being around Jesus just makes you better. The second thing that we need to understand if we want to tackle these feelings of inadequacy is is simply by knowing this. Jesus is looking for you. What fascinates me with tax collectors, and, and it always has, is that to become a tax collector, it was a choice. Like the Romans would come in and they would offer you this choice. And so as a person, you would, you would actually bid for the job. You would, you would buy into the syndicate of taxation. And so you as a person would be willing to give up everything, to throw out your culture, to turn your back on your family, to turn your back on your friends, knowing that you would be despised and it was a choice. And so these people, they chose to be this way. Like this wasn't something that just happened to them. They, they actively chose this and it's always fascinated me because one thing I've started to understand about about this whole thing is this is that when you get into a bad spot in life when you're the one that made the decision when you're the one that got yourself into that mess maybe you tried to save and you didn't maybe you tried to avoid this person and you didn't when you're the one that put yourself in that position God will still call you Jesus will still call you you could give God a million reasons not to love you and He still would He still would Jesus is looking for you, whether you know that or not tonight, whether you've never heard that before, I just want you to know that. Whether you believe that or not, God is looking for you. I love it when people say, oh, and I did this and I had a rough time or I did this and and then I found God. Really? Like under the couch? Where was He? And this statement is a beautiful statement transformational statement about a thing that people go through but the truth is is that you can't find God because he's never been lost you were lost God is looking for you you think you've been looking for him you think you've been playing hide and seek with God God has been looking for you your entire life he's looking for you one of the many things I love about God is that he will get you out of situations that you got yourself into and he will never hold it against you that's how good God is And that's grace, which by the way is a free gift. And so you could never earn grace. You could never earn your way into heaven. And because of this grace, we're given access to heaven through what Jesus did On a cross now, all of us can get into heaven, the good and the bad and everyone in between. Ephesians two, it says this, it says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Now check this, and this is not from yourselves. This means you, you couldn't earn this. You can't do this. You couldn't pull this off on your best day. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith and it's not from yourself. It is the gift of God. You can't earn gifts sometimes you get what you don't deserve sometimes you get what you deserve so sometimes you might not feel good that's true and sometimes we'll have bad days but when Jesus stands in the gap of your failings I want you to know that you'll always be enough whether you're looking for him today or not he is looking for you you don't have to change for God you change because of God you don't have to change before you find God. You don't have to change before you come to church. You don't have to change before you get in a life group, join a team, get on a serving role. You change by being around God. Like, cause you can't be around something so good and not have it affect every corner of your life. You don't have to be perfect for God. He's not wanting that. You don't have to change for Him. You change because of Him and what He's doing in your life when you stop focusing inward and on yourself, when you turn your eyes outwards and you're able to meet the needs of others. You have to ask yourself just in closing that, who told you that you had to be good enough anyway? I had to ask myself this question. Who told you that? Because Jesus never said that. Your inclusion into God's family is not dependent on how good you are, on what you've achieved and what you've accomplished. And in the same way that being good alone can't ever earn you a spot in heaven, you need to know that all of the bad stuff that you've done, that I've done, that we don't really talk about and no one's willing to tell anyone, all of that stuff that we hide deep down inside of our souls, well, guess what? All of that stuff could never keep you out either. Just like being good can never get you in, being bad could never keep you out. And that is grace. Your inclusion into God's love is not based on something that you do, it's based on something that He did 2,000 years ago on a cross for me and for you. That is grace. You don't have to be perfect, you don't have to be good enough, you don't have to have it all together. Sometimes you you don't even have to know what Jesus said or didn't say, because this is the truth. Grace has set you free if you want it. God's not shocked by your sin, and He's not intimidated by your mistakes. You don't have to be good enough so throw off trying to be perfect. Throw off the Instagram live, throw off all of these, all of these measures that we just can't seem to reach, no matter how hard we try. And remember, you can't earn your way in, and bad can't keep you out. Hey, why don't you stand to your feet? Time has gone, and I would. Love to just pray just really quick as we close.